0: You're listening to What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Check out all our shows on podcast.hyperx.com. Content warning: War, revolution, and foppish dandyism. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, Wars and sorcery, rockets and ray guns—a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's Adventure As You Like It on... What? What? Mad Universe! you who attack us. You, the meddlesome Scarlet Pimpernel, with your accursed gang. We defend ourselves as best we can, using what weapons lie closest to our hand. Such as
1: murder, outrage, abduction, wearing breeches, the cut of which would provoke a saint to
0: indignation murder, abduction, outrage, as you will, Sir Percy, had you ceased to interfere in the affairs of France when first you escaped punishment for your machinations, you would not now be in the sorry plight in which your intrigues have at last landed you. Had you left us alone, we should by now have forgotten you.
1: Which would have been such a pity, my dear Monsieur Chambetat. I should not like you to forget me, believe me. I have enjoyed life so much these past two years. I would not give up these pleasures even for that of seeing you and your friends have a bath or wear tidy buckles on your shoes.
0: You will have cause to indulge in these pleasures within the next few days, Sir Percy.
1: What? The Committee of Public Safety are going to have a bath? Or the Revolutionary Tribunal, which? The
0: pleasure of pitting your wits against the inevitable. Huh? The inevitable has always been such a good friend to me. Not this time, I fear, Sir Percy.
1: Ah, you mean this time to, uh...
0: In as few days as possible.
1: You're right there, my friend, quite right. Delays are always dangerous. If you mean to have my head, why, have it quickly. As for me, delays always bore me to tears. I am getting so damned fatigued. Do you not think this conversation has lasted quite long enough?
0: It was none of my seeking, Sir Percy.
1: Mine, I grant you mine, absolutely, but hang it, man, I had to tell you your breeches were badly hot. The Triumph of the Scarlet Pimpernel, 1922, by Baroness Orzy. They seek him here, they seek him there, those wrenches seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven, or is he in hell, that damned elusive Pimpernel? Hello, la! welcome to Watch <laughs> Mad Universe. I'm your host, Philip Rice, and you're just lucky I'm not doing the whole episode like this. Um, and with me is uh, Adam Prosser.
0: Hi, Phil. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> I've been looking forward to that. Um, yeah. uh, today we are discussing the Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Orczy.
0: Yes, uh, we will uh, be right back after a word from our sponsor. What Mad Universe is part of the HyperX Podcast Network. HyperX is our sponsor and the maker of the acclaimed Quadcast and Quadcast S microphones. Quadcast USB mics look and sound amazing and they're packed with features. With four selectable polar patterns, you'll get great sound no matter what you're recording. The included shock mount and pop filter mean that you won't have to shell out extra cash for a great setup. Then there's the eye-catching LED indicator and tap-to-mute sensor so you can tap in and tap out to stop broadcast accidents. It's time for you to tap in. With the HyperX Quadcast and Quadcast S.
1: Hello. Um, so, this is one I've been preparing for 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 quite a while. So I'm a bit nervous that uh, all my efforts will be in in you know complete waste if the episode sucks. But uh, uh, you know, cross fingers. Um, seems like the,
0: seems like the Scarlet Pimpernel's efforts were in vain. <laughs> <laughs> Historically speaking, if I got yeah. this correct, I don't know. I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah, um, so I've read, uh, I've been uh, researching this episode since we started the season, Um, and uh, I've read uh, 17 books, actually 18 books, 17 of which are by the original author, Um, and and they're not, some of them are short, but most of them are around
0: 300 pages, so uh,
1: it's been a time.
0: (laughs) Would you you say they were well-written and enjoyable,
1: Um, or...? Well, uh, we'll discuss that uh, in terms of uh, writing style and, and stuff. It's pretty good, um, better than a lot I've read. It, it's um, the writing; it flows well. It's pretty purple prose, but it's it's not terrible, and um, I enjoy uh, the dialogue and stuff. Um, politically, it's pretty rough, and yeah. we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah,
0: but it's also yeah, it's it's um, and it, was, it can
1: be a pretty repetitive. Hmm.
0: Well, that makes us—as in from book to book, you mean, like, going on Yeah, you
1: know. um, just in, in the sense of, um, you know, because it's about a guy who disguises himself in various costumes in order to evade uh, capture, and uh, uh, you know whenever there's going to be a tall character, it's probably going to be him. There's some swerves there, but whenever they describe a random uh, character as tall, it's it's probably going to be Sir Percy.
0: Ah, I get it. Okay. Um, so, um, well, uh, what? So, so why don't you uh, tell us the basic uh, premise of the books?
1: Yeah, uh, so, well, first uh, we'll go into sort of why this is uh, important because this is an important series um, in terms of pop culture. Um, it's often, uh, I believe incorrectly, uh, said to be the first superhero story. I think that's people who are trying to you know, who are high off the Mary Shelley invented science fiction thing and just want to go, you know, a woman invented superheroes. Um, the character's not really a superhero, but certain aspects that became popular to superheroes um, um, were either introduced here or popularized here. Yeah. Um, most most notably, the, uh, the secret identity that's specifically um, uh, designed to... Throw off suspicion by by looking uh, uh weak and um, uh comical, sort of like uh how Bruce Wayne presents to, pretends to be a um, uh a Playboy uh, billionaire. Clark Kent is like um, you know classically um, nebbish and and nerdy. Right.
0: Yeah. It, it, so it's, you wouldn't
1: associate them with the hero persona. Yeah, and right. In this case, Sir Percy is a. Um, an over-the-top foppish dandy who's just obsessed with fashion and is very shallow though like uh, a lot of um discourse on clark kent versus superman um i disagree that it's necessarily completely a mask i really because sir percy acts like this most of the time uh even when he doesn't have to for you know right public's sake so right. i think he just likes acting
0: like that or you know well he he's does a he's a member of the, occasionally. Yeah, he's a member yeah. of the nobility. That was how they acted. It's not that <laughs> that not that a yeah. lot. But he probably exaggerates it to seem Yeah, yeah. I think
1: I think he plays it up mm-hmm. a, a little bit. He does drop it occasionally and gets serious, but those are few and far between.
0: Right. And uh, what does he do? What is his heroic?
1: So um, it's uh, the story is set during the French Revolution, at least most of it is. Um, and uh, he, uh, he he rescues aristocrats from the guillotine.
0: right? And uh, y- y- he's yes. doing it at the behest of the British, right? And and
1: no, he, he's doing it on his own accord. He's not. He's
0: not working for any government. They're they're quite
1: clear on that. Um, he does um, have the confidence of the Prince of Wales, who's his personal friend, but he doesn't. He's not working for the government. Okay, um, he's just he's doing it out of the goodness of his heart and or for sport. But there's but there's a group of
0: sort of British aristocrats who are sort yeah, of yeah yeah
1: uh, the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel. It's a twenty nineteen or twenty group strong uh, or strong group of uh, uh, his personal friends and um, um, colleagues. It's a little uh, unclear on whether his wife uh, Marguerite is part of the league uh, or if it's all male. But uh, uh, we don't get like a list of all the members except in a. -hmm. Non-official biography that I also
0: read, but she but she ends up being a big help to him, right? Like she's his yeah yeah Uh, she's basically the the
1: lead character of the first book Mm -hmm. and some of the others, um, which is uh, an interesting um, take. I I think I mentioned this in in the uh, intro to this season because I had read the first book at that point. Um, It's sort of like if. a introduction to Superman story like in the Superman origin was from the point of view of Lois Lane and we didn't find out that Clark Kent was Superman until like halfway through hmm
0: that's that is interesting huh
1: yeah so it's it's her um, uh, discovering I mean I I knew going in that the Scarlet Pimpernel's name was Sir Percy so it wasn't that much of a surprise to me but uh, I could see how it would be to uh, to newcomers potentially hmm. especially since the first book was originally a play and we'll,
0: we'll get into that yeah that is interesting and yeah that's that's you know you think about it that's a really natural structure for a superhero story actually yeah which you don't really see very often though like it's never i mean i guess it's because we always know who like the, the heroes are so famous that we always know anyway and there's no point in, in making it a surprise but um you'd think that at least the occasional first issue would, would handle it that way, but yeah. uh, it doesn't seem to happen. Anyway. I can't
1: really think of any examples. I'm sure there are some, but... Um, well, Astro yeah, City that, that...
0: maybe is about the close and that's because of the nature of Astro City, is that it's from the point of view of not the superheroes usually, but yeah.
1: Yeah, a lot of the Scarlet Pimpernel books, uh, only like two or three are from Marguerite's point of view, but they're often from some other character's point of view. Um I mean, we do get uh, insights into Sir Percy's thoughts and stuff because um, it is like omniscient narration, but uh, it, it tends um, not to to focus on him uh, internally much because it sort of um, builds him up as a mythic figure, and also to uh, the surprises of which person he's masquerading as or whatnot, right? Or at least the attempts at surprises. Though right. there are, like I said, there are some. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Okay. So it's yeah, he's he's like. That, again, that's kind of cool. Like the idea of just like that's that's actually how you kind of want to treat a superhero in a way. Just make them a little more remote and not everything from their point of view because they're this iconic creature yeah. or per, not creature person that comes down out of the sky and saves someone, you know. But yeah, that's yeah. that's that's really interesting. But
1: yeah, so like I said, I don't really think he's a superhero. I mean, he doesn't have a costume as such. Like he wears disguises and. His most iconic look is him as a dandy and that's his secret identity so you know
0: mm-hmm. but I mean um, he's, he so he wears a dis- disguise when he's the Pimpernel though right like or d- does he
1: not a know? single disguise no he doesn't like have a mask it, like he wears false noses or he puts on a women's women's clothing or whatnot hmm. can I ask like uh, he has he has ahead. different identities that he builds up so uh, there's one that comes up a lot Rateau is a uh, our, an actual man he based it on and he keeps switching places with him. Uh, unbeknownst to Rateau and it screws up ratto's life. Um, uh, who's a tall man with with severe asthma. Um, in uh, the Triumph of the Scarlet Pimpernel, which is the last Percy book chronologically, uh, though not the last written. They, they're sort of written out of order, but uh, so it it deals with the end of the of uh Robespierre. Um, Robespierre, sorry. Um, Rateau, actually uh, uh Chauvelin. Um, uh Percy's uh mortal enemy um actually gets fed up with constantly confusing Ratto and Percy so he uh brands Ratto in the arm with a with a cow brand and uh um Percy finds out about this and has himself branded just to to screw <laughs> him, just to be able to screw with him more luckily that you was could... the his last adventure chronologically so
0: feel like you could just uh, have Ratto killed and solve if you're a bad guy and solve his problems but <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, but Rateau's like an, uh, an actual citizen of France, so... Right.
0: I'm describing the villain's actions here. Yeah, right? yeah, if, yeah, fair. are um, ruthlessly pragmatic about it, but yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of leaps of logic in these stories. I can't remember <laughs> the exact details of why he didn't
0: kill him, but yeah. Um, can I just venture, if you, if I may, like the Superhero Connection? Like, uh, I see what you're saying. Uh, f- well, first of all, have you seen the movie that they, the th- the 1930s movie that they made? Of, I of, of s- yeah,
1: uh, that's the only movie I watched. There's like uh, dozens of these things. Uh, Hollywood likes this character at least, it up until the 60s. Um, I only saw the 1934 version, uh, which stars um, uh, Leslie Howard, who was quite good in the role. Hmm. Um, and well, I haven't seen the others. There's there's like David Niven, and I, even uh, Richard E. Grant played him on television once. Yes, I saw so, that, that
0: there was a TV movie version of The Scope, but all in the 80s, which is wild, but I guess that was kind of the resurgence of pulp was happening around that time, mm-hmm. so that made sense. Uh, in the movie, the reason I ask is, in the movie, does he wear a mask, or, or is he... Or no, not, not in
1: that movie. I'm sure he does in some of them, and he does in some of the covers, like, you know, the standard um, um, Highwayman mask, um, some of the book covers... Mm-hmm. but he doesn't in the book uh in any of the books uh there's one one of the later ones uh they do disguise themselves as highwayman at that at some point but uh he wasn't actually in that group that was his his men doing that so hmm. yeah he doesn't he doesn't wear like a proper domino mask at any point
0: hmm. yeah no i mean fair it's it's it makes sense. if i may uh what i think the the superhero connection um like I, I can see it because the way you're describing him, it sounds very much like they basically Zorro basically borrowed the character and placed him in Spanish, California. Um, yeah, because he's, he sounds like very so except and with with kind of a reversal of the, the politics, as I understand it. But um, but yeah, the same basic idea of a swashbuckler. He's a foppish nobleman by day and he goes out and, uh, and fights for justice by night. Um, and of course, Zorro does wear the mask and everything. And Zorro yeah. uh, came afterwards. Uh, and then Zorro and Zorro is part of this sort of stream of costume adventurers who showed up, who were very clearly like they're not again, they're not quote superheroes, but they're clearly laying the groundwork for superheroes. So, yeah, and
1: I, I mean, I, I can definitely see the connections. I just don't think you can really call Percy a superhero. Mm-hmm. He's more like a spy, though he doesn't work for a government. He's they're, they're sort of structured like either spy books or, uh, I don't know, in, in terms of what he's doing, it's not quite, but mm-hmm. like con man books or like con man stories or heist right. stories, like right. like a um, Ocean's Eleven, you know, how they, you know, showing how they get away with that sort of thing.
0: Right. I, I would I would describe that as like, again, like, yeah, it doesn't perfectly fit with superheroes. I mean, what a lot of people would say to be a superhero, it has to be he literally has some kind of supernatural power. Although of course, I disagree that, with that. Yeah. Well, yeah, but then that ignores Batman and so on. <laughs> you get into that very blurry, blurry period. So like a lot of people just go back to, well, Hercules was the first superhero yeah. and so forth. Yeah. Um, I,
1: I, there's a lot of gray area. I can see the arguments. I don't really agree with them. I think mm-hmm. he's part of the, part of the history of what led to modern superheroes, but I don't think he counts himself.
0: Right. And he's um,
1: definitely, and if he does, he's not the first. Yeah, I, I think... there's other examples. Yeah, no, absolutely. various not. things.
0: Yeah, there's definitely precursors to that. But I would, I think he is definitely, along with Tarzan, Zorro, uh, various others, I mean, Robin Hood, other things, there's various, and like, various mythological characters. He's definitely part of the stew that eventually yes. resolved into superheroes, I think. But not, y- yeah, like, you wouldn't call him a superhero unless you're being a little bit, you're exaggerating a bit. Um, Another
1: misconception that... Uh, i had going in is that he sword fights a lot and he doesn't really um, that um he i can't recall a single instance in the 17 that rz wrote that he actually sword fights it might come up in the movies it, it also didn't in the 34 movie so really? i don't know um yeah when he has to do violence um which he tries not to do but um he, he has sort of it's not quite a no-kill rule but he he doesn't kill in any of the novels um uh he mostly just beats people up he's like a really big strong guy huh he's um he's very athletic and he usually just uses his fists uh when he has to resort to violence and then ties them up or whatever um hmm. there's also uh yeah the no kill thing um he doesn't kill chauvelin at any point mostly because he seems to think he's an entertaining um enemy to go up against even though chauvelin um you know is described as a bloodthirsty murderer who leads all these, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, in fact, in uh, Triumph of the Scarlet Pimpernel, uh, when um, Chauvelin's tied up and Percy is explaining that the uh, Rob- Robespierre government is uh, uh, has fallen and um, Chauvelin will probably be executed, Percy muses that maybe maybe Percy will rescue Chauvelin
0: as his final act. Won't that be funny? <laughs>
1: We so, we don't get if that actually
0: happens, but you know. It okay. Could. So the, even then, the villain is still alive at the end of that book. You're saying basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well,
1: it's it says in the in the biography, which
0: was written by Orze's son,
1: that uh, Chauvelin was executed by the uh, new French
0: state. But uh, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's uh, okay. That's interesting. Uh, the the um, uh, I wonder if the no kill kill thing is kind of coming from the idea that he's a gentleman and therefore he doesn't kill. Basically that. Is that would that make yeah, sense? Or?
1: Yeah, that's part of it. Um uh also he just seems to like the sport of things. Um mm. uh he often says that he's not in it for the sentiment, just the sport of you know, fighting the uh the French. That that doesn't really ring true with a lot of his actions. That just seems to be something he says to save face or mm. to look, you know, because he's English. Right. Um yeah. but um he does at least that is part of the motivation that he's interested in uh in a good fight a good you know Hmm. a good challenge
0: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors
1: ellen in 15 seconds what is nice game club it's our game dev podcast steven help game mechanics accessibility art and animation level design prototyping everything that goes into making video games how's that mark nice Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get your podcasts, or at NiceGames.Club.
0: Hello, my name's Jonathan Dunn, host of the O3C podcast. Every week I'm joined by my two best gaming buddies, Chris and Minty, and we talk about the games we're playing, the games we love, and how they rank alongside our sacrosanct top 100 favorite video games of all time lists. Deep dives into gaming mechanics, history and lore bound, all topped off with lashings of irreverent, dry British wit, witterings and wisdom. For details on the show and more, head to o3c.games and tune in every Monday on the HyperX Podcast Network.
1: It's time to tap in with the HyperX Quadcast S
0: microphone. The stunning HyperX Quadcast S features dynamic, customizable RGB lighting, a convenient tap to mute sensor and four selectable polar patterns
1: so we can broadcast crystal clear audio, whether you're gaming, streaming, podcasting, or impressing your remote colleagues and classmates. So what are you waiting for? Join the quad squad and tap in today with the HyperX Quadcast S microphone.
0: The book, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be a little cautious about making sweeping pronouncements about uh, Dorsey's uh, like actual um, uh, sorry Orsi or Dorsey is it Orsi. Uh she was
1: uh, Hungarian.
0: Yeah, I- I'm gonna make any I'm gonna try to avoid doing sweeping pronouncements about Orsi's politics and motivations and so forth. Um, but I'm just I am seeing a bit of a pattern starting to emerge in what you're talking about here. Um, the French Revolution, of course, um, uh, happened in uh, the late uh, 18th and early sort of went on into the early 19th century, depending on where you want to draw the line. Um, of course, uh, it it ended with, or didn't end, but they stormed the Bastille. They, they ended up executing, uh, Louis the 16th. Um, and for a while there was a, uh, a very, uh, what we would call left wing, uh, government. Um, you know, this is pre socialism. Uh, so you wouldn't call it a socialist government, but it was, um, motivated by those kinds of, uh, ideals and the ideas of, um, like, liberty and, famously, the French slogan to this day is fraternité, égalité, liberté. Um, Which is
1: repeated often in these books is, like, sarcastically, like, you know...
0: They believe in fraternity, egalite,
1: liberte, but they're you know doing this. You know. Right. Um,
0: well, what it's worth noting. I mean, so what happened was that there was this series of escalations um, as more and more radical factions kind of came to power. There was a there was a group called the Sans Culottes who I imagine are mentioned a lot in this in these books. Um, and in fact, they were kind of mentioned in that clip in that little bit that we we discussed at the beginning that we did at the beginning that we enacted. Um, they were the sort of the street fighters. They were the 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 agents of the people who who uh, who would sort of come and tear down anyone who was in the way um, and eventually a group called the Jacobins took power and they were led by uh, a guy called uh, well there was a Danton but there, and Marat but there was also Robespierre who of course is the famous um, head of uh, the Committee of Public Safety and that led to what we call the Reign of Terror so you don't have to be some kind of slavering conservative to be like or monarchist to say the rate of terror was bad it was it was definitely bad uh... they definitely killed a lot of just regular innocent people who and and and, and it got out of control um, so it is you know it and it it has a, a hold on our our on our imaginations as this uh... as this historical uh, nightmare as, as it were uh... but of course it's hard not to look at you know politics and kind of go well maybe there's a reason they they make a big de- bigger deal of that than they do about you know the many horrible things that you know monarchies have done over the years you know as mark twain had a famous quote where he talked about um you know what of the greater terror that lasted for centuries and and oppressed the poor and 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 killed all the citizens and oppressed the citizenry uh... that we don't talk about that as some kind of terror because it, it happened over centuries um, but anyway it ended with the bourbon dynasty the, the the french bourbon dynasty coming back then that was eventually deposed again and uh, so it's interesting because France sort of was in turmoil for almost a century after the French Revolution with back and forth and, and the revolution. And, and it spread all throughout Europe, again, because of Napoleon, partly. And then, then there were a series of revolutions that I don't know as much about, but happened in 1848. A lot of, uh, a lot of countries basically looked to overthrow their, uh, their, their monarchs uh, in the manner of France. Um, and I'm noticing that um, Baron, Baroness Orsi, who wrote these books, uh, was born in Hungary and had to leave partly when she was very young. And it seems to have been partly followed from what was going on here. Do you know anything about that?
1: Yes, yes. It was a peasants uprising.
0: Her father was uh, the uh,
1: uh, landowner of a bunch of farms and the peasants rose up and kicked them out <laughs> and they fled to... Um, to various places and ended up in England
0: right and England of course was sort of in many ways it's kind of the the, the bulwark of monarchy in Europe oh I uh, uh, should she she went to England later but yes, yeah 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 well no of course I mean but she she wrote the books did she not write the books in England or was that did she yeah write them yeah they're she they're they were English uh, right
1: um, I'll go into the, the history a little bit um, uh, yeah her, her she was born uh, emma magdalena rosalina maria josepha orzi uh quite a handle um her her family called her umuska um her father was a uh, a composer of some notes not like super famous but uh in addition to being a, a gentleman farmer um and she wanted initially to go into music but she didn't really have the skill for it um they they didn't um they were Titled, but they didn't have any money uh, because of what happened. Um, so she was expected to work. So uh, she went to, to art school for painting, which is where she met uh, who became her husband, uh, Montague Barstow. Um, and um, with uh, at some point uh, she she met some uh, uh, women who wrote sort of adventure stories. And uh, uh, Orsies, uh noticed that they didn't actually... Uh, Leave the immediate area they were in. Um, so they hadn't actually traveled and stuff. So, you know, if they could do it, I could do it. Mm. Um, mm. But uh, she wasn't very successful. She sort of wrote some things, but they weren't, didn't really catch on. Then uh, she wrote the uh, initial manuscript for the Scarlet Pimpernel, and it was uh, actually rejected by a dozen publishing houses. Um, eventually, uh, she and her husband uh, rewrote it as a play. Um, and it was uh, staged with uh, a famous actor at the time named uh, Fred Terry. Um, Terry actually uh, apparently rewrote the final act of it, um, and this uh, sort of resulted in various lawsuits over the years about the ownership of the character, you know. Who, so a little bit of a uh, uh, confusing mess there, but she she came up with the, the basic idea. You know, she wrote most of it, basically, the first book. Okay, time. all right. And, and was, then the, the novel was then
0: adapted from the play. Right. And then she wrote all the sequels, right? Like it was still yeah. her. Yeah. 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 So, so slightly. Oh, prior. except
1: for, uh, yeah, there, there are other sequels written by other people. I haven't read those. Um, there's uh, her son, um, uh, uh, John Montague, or Z Barstow, um, hmm. wrote a uh, biography in 1938 of uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel, like an in-world biography and she wrote the forward to it. Uh, sorry, uh, her son is believed to have written it. It was written under the um, um, pseudonym um, John Blakeney. But um, uh, he's believed to have been the, the writer of that. And she wrote the forward to it and said, you know, uh, I can't verify any of this as factual, but it seems like stuff Percy would have done. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's... uh, I'm getting the general sense of it being very British uh, in spite of being, you know, supposedly set in France uh, and the hero literally being British. And uh, just as you say, like, you know, I I think Britain is kind of like the bulwark of like, that's definitely where that uh, sympathy, that, that kind of uh, story would probably find more sympathy than almost anywhere else, even in Europe at the time of just like, oh, yes, let's maintain the good old uh, aristocracy kind of thing um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, save lives. But now, does he ever save uh, the, the Pimpernel? Does he ever save? Uh, oh, by the way, uh, this, t- where does he get his name from, the Scarlet the Pimpernel? I know this. Oh, name. it's
1: just a flower. Uh, there's no um, origin for the name except in the biography, which, again, is non-canon. Um, but it's a common flower in, uh, in England. Right, and that's his calling card, right? He yeah, it, yeah, he leaves a. Um, uh, he always, uh, he often leaves a paper behind to let us know that it, to let uh, his enemies know that uh, he got away with it, basically, mm. which includes the, um, that poem that I read at the top. Uh, they seek him here, they seek him there, um, and uh, at the bottom, a drawing of a uh, scarlet pimpernel, which is a five-leaf um, or five-petaled uh, flower.
0: Right, and and um, that's another thing that superheroes did adopt for a bit not it's it's hasn't lingered but there was definitely a thing of the calling card um, yeah sometimes with yeah. villains too you see bad, bad guys doing that too like uh i mean that's actually the most famous super uh superhero comics characters as the joker he used to leave a joker playing card as a calling card when he murdered someone um but that like that was the, like the first story it wasn't a, it wasn't a common thing that he kept doing but more or less that's uh mm-hmm. that's a thing um, but yeah, just the fact that it's a, a, a story about, uh, England, uh, you know, English, uh, 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 people protecting each other, or, you know, protecting the monarchy. Uh, I did want to ask, does he, does he ever save like regular people or does he only go, save the monarch? The yeah. St- 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 so, st-
1: st- so, st- so that's the thing. Uh, the politics, uh, Orzee does try occasionally to be a bit more nuanced with it, um, um she's she's very obviously on the side of of the the monarchy um you know the uh uh narration keeps calling you know the the french uh revolution like the most bloodthirsty government in history and you know the a smear on the french um the the or the honor of france that will forever smear you know whatever um it's like you know calm down lady (laughs) um but uh um, there are occasionally characters, and uh, particularly, um, uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel's wife is actually a Republican, um, though she's against the the terror and stuff, which you know, fair enough. But, um, uh, she actually does believe in um, uh, the basic tenets of um, of the uh of the uh, ideals. Um, and like I said, she's like the viewpoint character of the first book, so, uh, that's something. Right. Um, she was actually, uh, in the first book, she's actually estranged from Percy because he believes that she, uh, denounced an entire family, got sent to the guillotine. She right. just announced, um, one guy who had previously, uh, uh, beaten up her brother for falling in love with his daughter. Um so uh like she she sort of not even officially denounced him just sort of spread stuff around about him and uh he got uh guillotined as does his entire family and when percy found out about this he asked her point blank about it point blank not blank. um and uh she uh refused to answer you know refused to answer because she thought you know you're my husband you should trust me um and that just made things worse so uh yeah, it's also quite clear at the beginning that uh, she never particularly loved him. Uh, she was just she was like the uh, considered the most clever woman in Europe. She was an actress. She had a, a popular salon in in France. Uh, and uh, Percy fell in love with her and was like doggedly devoted to her. And she was attracted to his devotion, basically. That this guy was just completely head over heels, and that's what she was sort of interested in. Um, she doesn't actually fall in love with him until after she discovers that he's the Pimpernel and he's been risking his life and stuff for innocent right. people.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that, that's kind of, that's kind of a, a nice story. Just the, <laughs> the sort of, well, you see, I wasn't, I had to hold myself back because I was, you know, keeping myself a secret, but you know, when you find out who I am, you can, you can yeah. really love. Though me. again, that's, that's...
1: he was, he was like, he had a reputation as a foppish dandy before the revolution happened. So right. again, I think that's him.
0: Right. But but I mean, it doesn't matter if you're foppish if you're if you're like willing to go out and be heroic and yeah, it's so, like that's that's another that's sort of a crucial element of your character that's being held back. Is there any sort of do we get like an origin for him at any point? Like what? Uh, made him not decide? except for the
1: biography, which
0: again, non canon. Yeah. So. But like um, he he like was he just sort of a layabout and then he said, "By God, I've got to save some lives," you know, kind of thing. That right?
1: seems to be it, yeah. Yeah, um, and that that's basically what the the biography said as well. Like he was uh, sort of wasting any talents that he had, um, and until uh, he found something that he could do with them that mm-hmm. was meaningful, right? Um, so on the saving regular people, so. There's that, the fact that Marguerite is uh, a Republican, though that doesn't get much play beyond the first book. Um, There is actually one of the later books. It's called uh, A Child of the Revolution uh, from uh, 1932. Yes, I know it's it's similar to the song title. Uh, uh, So Child of the Revolution um, is uh, uh, focused on... The Pimpernel's barely in it. Um, It's focused on... um, a uh, character named Andre Valant, who's actually a member of the um, of the revolution. He um, like a in in the story an important figure in the revolution, and he's portrayed as basically a good guy. Um, so, and the the whole book just follows his story, and then at the end uh, when the revolution goes after him as well for not being harsh enough. Um, oh, no, actually, uh, no, no, he's um, he's actually uh, denounced by. In secret, by um, a um, the father of his wife, who is an aristocrat. Um, so anyway, a- a- after he's denounced, and he's about to go to the guillotine. Then the Scarlet Pimpernel saves him, and that's the end. Hmm. But um, we we follow, and it, it, that that book in particular is very sympathetic to him, and it it, um, it has characters say, you know, this is bad, but like it was worse before for us, like. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, like, uh, you know, people are, are being beaten and, you know, uh, sent to prison, but like that happened all
0: the time before to
1: us and nobody
0: cared. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's not an unreasonable stance to take because like you can, I don't think there's as much of a contradiction there as you might think because Uh, I mean, it's, it's certainly true that the revolution went through the different stages. And like, again, you can see, like, uh, you can be in favor as the, as the Thermidorians were of like, yeah, we should have a republic, we should have a democracy, we should have uh, the get rid of the king and and do something for the poor and so forth, without going into what Robespierre did, where he just wanted to, like, it it got out of control. And, you know, the power went to his head or something. Uh, um, Yeah, I I think you can draw a line of sort of where you know, where they cross, but there were different factions within the revolution. Like even before Robespierre came to power, there was a group called the Girondins who had a lot of power and then the Jacobins took over and the Girondins were kind of the ones who, like, it's more complicated, but they're kind of the ones who came back after the, uh, after the, um, uh, the Thermidorian revolution. And then, like I say, there was the, there was the Napoleon, uh, N- Napoleonic thing. And then. Uh, th- there was a, there were people like uh, there were as as this seems to point out uh, like uh, there were people who the uh, what's his name Chauvertan oh uh,
1: Chauvelin. Um, Chauvelin Percy always calls him Chauvertan because it pisses him off.
0: <laughs> okay, well he was if I'm not mistaken he was a real guy and he did actually uh, end up serving in the Napoleonic cabinet. Uh, but maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Maybe I'm confusing him with a different bad guy. It's it's a
1: yeah, there was a Marquis de Chauvelin.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. There was. That's what I'm thinking. Okay, yeah. There's there's a real Marquis de Chauvelin who was the um, yeah, and he did actually like he, he he was a revolutionary, but then he went to work for Napoleon, and that did happen to a lot of people. Uh, okay. Went,
1: it, yeah. Actually, looking at this, there's some um, similarities to his background. Like Chauvelin was an aristocrat who um, before, long before the revolution, had um, switched to the other side, basically, and given up his title. Um, right. So yeah, it seems like it's a loose loosely based on and the last
0: name is the same. So, yeah. Maybe. There was like there was a guy called Talleyrand who was brill- notably very good at like hopping from side to side as the winds changed and ended up again being a major uh part major uh advisor to Napoleon after despite uh, you know after being any he, he worked with the American Revolution as well. He was part of the cuz of course the French Revolution and the American Revolution sort of communicated with each other to a large degree and helped inspire each other. Um, but yeah, so so I mean, it's oh it's, uh,
1: Chauvelin uh, has a different name in real life. He's Armand Chauvelin in the books and Bernard yeah. Francois Bernard Francois in in the in
0: real right, life. So right, yeah, no, it's not. It's clearly not exactly the same guy. They just changed his name a bit to make him, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is uh, again, which is interesting because it's like, yeah, you're saying the revolution is bad, but or well, again, you're 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 making the Robespierrean uh, era of the Revolution to be the bad guys, but this guy wasn't really that. He was he was one of the more conservative Republicans, from what I can tell. Um, but anyway, it's it's there were many different factions, and they went back and forth. It wasn't it mm-hmm. wasn't one thing. And as I said, it it ended up sprawling on for like a century in one form or another. Um, so you you know you can't just reduce it to. Uh, it's not weird to say that yeah, there were good people who saw the Revolution got away from them the same thing you could say about the soviet revolution like there were a lot of good people who kind of saw this thing get turn into a a a bit of a a blood-soaked machine as it kept going right um yeah but these
1: books lay it on pretty thickly in the narration (laughs) about uh it being evil and a a blight on civilization the Mm -hmm. worst
0: thing to ever happen and you know like yeah. Uh, well, well, here's where I mean, you. here's where we're talking about a, a woman who was a landed gentry who literally had to give up her ancestral home and <laughs> went to England yeah. and started uh, basically pandering to the Brit. As, as I say, you know, like Britain was probably the most um, pro or I mean, not that there wasn't aristocracy everywhere, but they really like clung on to aristocracy in the post-Napoleonic era in a way that maybe most of Europe didn't uh, to quite the same degree. Because, again, France had a big uh, influence on everything. And, and by the end of the 19th century, especially, um, there were, of course, there's still some aristocracy in Europe to this day. But uh, things like like Germany was no longer an aristocracy. Obviously, Russia wasn't early, but by, by the early 20th century, um, you know, like these, these, uh, these major uh, uh, aristocratic families were all kind of gone by the time uh, Orsi was, well, not gone, but they were on their way out. By the time Orsi Mm -hmm. was writing, I mean, she wrote. I I mean, I guess she would have been writing up into the uh, into the Soviet Revolution as well, and she probably oh uh, long long past. um, Yeah, that probably uh, colored everything.
1: Her last uh, Pimpernel book was in 1940,
0: and she lived till 47. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. So, I mean, that's. Do do you ever get the sense that that's coloring what she's writing, or? uh...
1: (laughs) Well, uh, there's one book uh, which is uh, um, Pimpernel and Rosemary. which is actually set in the present day that it was written, 1923, um, and it's about the uh, um, what was going on in Hungary at the time. So directly
0: hmm. related
1: to Orzy's own background. Um, yeah, right. and that's about a, a a descendant of the Scarlet Pimpernel named uh, Peter Blakeney, uh, who's a cricket player. Um, and again, that that the whole book's basically from the viewpoint of uh, of his love interest, Rosemary Folks, um, uh, Spelled differently than the uh, Andrew Folks, who's a member of the league of the Scarlet Pimpernel. I don't know if they're supposed to be. Anyway, um, that one actually has a, an interesting thing because the villain is actually Rosemary's husband, Jasper Tarkington. Uh, but for because it's from Rosemary's point of view, except for occasional scenes um, with the bad guys, um, we don't actually know what side Peter Blakeney's on for most of it. Uh, up until the end. Like, it seems that he's, um, he was turning them in and stuff, but it was all just machinations and stuff. Um, and actually, in that book, Jasper has the Master of Disguise, uh, thing going on instead hmm. of, um, instead of Peter Blakeney. So that that's sort of an interesting twist on it. Hmm. Uh, that one also has a, uh, a character in it, and I wrote this down. Uh, won't read the whole thing, but, um, uh, Let's see. Uh, we did not make ourselves beloved by the peasantry. They spoke a different language from ours. theirs was a different religion, and they were an alien race. We did little, if anything, for me. But tell me, um, let's see. Do you think that landowners over, that you landowners over in England, who do so much for your tenantry, uh, tenantry and your villagers, cricket clubs, football concerts, oh, I don't know what else, but things that you pay for and that they enjoy? Well, uh, do you think that in their hearts they love you any better than the Romanian peasantry loved us Hungarians? Do you think they be- that you really believe that if you were in trouble as we are now, that uh, and they were given a certain power over you, they would not use it to show their grat- uh they would use it to show you their gratitude for past generosity? Do you really believe that? Um, hmm. Which is funny, the idea that you know having you know putting up cricket games and stuff is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Is a big favor to the peasants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, again, like this is a character speaking, and, I, but it, it is. It I think it does give a little insight
0: into Orzy's uh, views on some of this. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you got to figure like she was, you know, self aware, and she was, uh, you know, she pro- she probably ultimately didn't even mean poorly, uh, but uh, you know, she's coming from a very you know, very specific uh, privileged background where she's not going to be, she, she can, uh, we were just talking about how in Childhood's End, like uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote about, well, the British people had it, found an empire by accident. And yeah. like, it, that was just like, that wasn't trying to, you know, manipulate it. That wasn't trying to rewrite history. That was legitimately what they thought because that's how sort of detached they were from uh, from everyone else's perspective. And I think something like that might apply here as well. She probably thinks yeah. Well, the British, well she the was she was so quite good.
1: conservative. She was a uh, a supporter of British imperialism, uh, wars overseas and stuff. Uh, hmm. um, at least during World War One, she tried to get people to sign up for it. Though in um, it seems that subsequently she realized that World War One wasn't that good. Hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I'll talk about some of the other spin offs now, since I brought up Rosemary and Pim- or Pimpernel and Rosemary. Sure. Um, so some of the other uh, books I read are, uh, there's two books starring the Laughing Cavalier, um, who is the, uh, the first Sir Percy, um, Sir Percy Blakeney's um, um, ancestor. Uh, it, these are set in, um, in uh, um, Holland in uh, the 1620s. I know absolutely nothing about the political situation. The villain is based on a real guy, but I don't know anything about him, really. Hmm. Sorry, what like what in, era in life? Was, what era was that? Did you say Sixteen twenties. Okay. All so right. uh the villain is um a guy named uh Wilhelm van uh or I don't even know. Willem van uh whatever. The Lord of Stoutenburg. <laughs> Sorry, I yeah, can't. Dutch Dutch names. Dutch, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so the uh the Laughing Cavalier is um uh it's only loosely connected to um These books because he is the you know said to Mm -hmm. be related, but it's based on an actual painting by uh, Franz Mm Hals of called The Laughing Cavalier. Um, It's nothing is actually known in real life about this guy, but this book sort of connects him to the Pimpernel legacy. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not exactly like he's more of a he is actually a swordsman, he does do swashbuckling stuff. Um, Mm. Okay, and um, uh, for most of the book, he goes by the name Diogenes. And his two uh, companions go by Socrates and Pythagoras, um, and <laughs> was uh, Diogenes, Ergis
0: the guy with the lantern, who was seeking an honest man. Is that the is that yeah, what the yeah. references? Okay, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and uh, uh, Diogenes is like um, uh, a drunken um, uh, lowlife, basically. He actually is from uh, he's half uh, English, half uh, uh, Dutch, but. Um, uh, his father, who was a, a wealthy Englishman, uh, abandoned his mother, and he sort of refused to connect to reconnect with him. Um, and so he he just goes around as a as a, a mercenary. Um, but uh, and he gets hired to kidnap this this girl by the villain. Uh, but uh, they fall in love, and then he becomes a good guy. Hmm. So it's it's kind of interesting that it's um not just a the the cuz in a lot of cases when you do the ancestor of the main hero it's just like a repeat right you know in a in different, a different era story. yeah yeah right. but this is like a a, a still like a, it points out you know he has the qualities of leadership and you know
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: but he he does different sorts of things
0: right and and i mean i guess that's where the whole swashbuckling cavalier thing uh, maybe that's where it came from—the fact that they kind of. I assume some of the
1: movies have them sword
0: fighting. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, didn't the movie you watched have the sword fighting in it? As Not well? that one, but no, no, uh,
1: interesting. No, that one was a pretty close adaptation of
0: the first book,
1: huh. With a, a f- some changes in the last act. Um, yeah, I I don't know where that comes from. Hmm. Interesting.
0: Well, I think it's probably when was Prisoner of Zenda again? That was. Uh...
1: I mean, the book was earlier than this, right? So that I was eighteen hundreds. Yeah, I don't know if they got mixed up in the public
0: imagination or yeah.
1: Zorro got in there somewhere,
0: right? Zorro, I, yeah, that kind of feels like Zorro is a mashup of Scarlet Pimpernel and Prisoner of Zenda, or Zenda type or stuff, Ruritanian stuff. Um stuff. I think that. I think that was just sort of where the winds were blowing in that early, uh, late 19th, early 20th century pulp era. And then Hollywood, of course, stoked the fires pretty hard. Uh, so that yeah. it's probably like how and, superheroes sort of synthesized all these things into something. Uh, I, in the same way, I think there was an earlier synthesis of just, uh, you know, oh, uh, the royalty and intrigue among the royals in a t- historical time, and there'd be some swashbuckling kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I think most people, myself included, uh, first learned about the Scarlet if they did from the um, uh, Scarlet Pumpernickel, the Daffy Duck cartoon. Yeah,
0: yeah right. Um,
1: where he's a highwayman who at one point disguises himself as a, as a nobleman. So that's sort of the only connection there. There's actually it's a character in, in the last book, the, uh, the uh, last one written in 1940, uh, Mademoiselle Guillotine, um, yeah, she's a, a very tall, a very angry woman named uh, Gabrielle Damien, Damien, I don't know how to pronounce French names, sorry, uh, Mademoiselle Guillotine, who uh, uh, has, uh, uh, her father is, was a hist- an actual historical figure who um, came at, the, uh, at uh, the king with a pocket knife and just sort of wounded him a little bit, like a little <laughs> scratch. Okay. and was punished to death for it and drawn and quartered and stuff like it oh. w- wasn't meant to kill him
0: it was just sort of you know but well, of uh, course the gu- guillotine was a was a guy it's the guy who invented the guillotine was named after him. yeah yeah and
1: but i mean the the character uh, as like uh, madame guillotine was was the the phrase that the french used for right. you know the guillotine
0: but mm-hmm. actually
1: making it a character madame guillotine or mademoiselle guillotine a woman who likes to guillotine people. I don't
0: know, <laughs> or even that's even a superheroish, uh, another superish element there, almost in some way. Yeah.
1: Making so, um, so I-, I thought she was an interesting character in the books because she initially disguised herself as a man because she's really big, um, but uh, eventually just let it out that she was a woman, and that's how she got put in charge of being the uh, the executioner for the region of France she's in. Um, and and she's different from um, um, Chauvelin that she's just angry all the time and yelling. Uh, I don't know. She's she's a, I wish uh, there was more with her,
0: but that was the last book, unfortunately. Mm. So, like in terms of having you know enemies and 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 villains, is it always uh, Chauvelin or is it? It's
1: mostly Chauvelin. He shows up a lot. I I got I like the character, but he was I was getting a little sick of just the same. You know. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Chauvelin's also in the in the guillotine mademoiselle guillotine books so um uh there's uh another character uh a historical person the Baron de Batz who was a monarchist um so he was a real person though a lot of the stuff that he's credited for sort of seems to be uh uh, uh questioned but uh, he's he shows up not as like a major villain but he's like a, a foil in a few stories He's, like, um, somebody who uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel thinks is completely incompetent and uh, um, occasionally uses for his own ends, sort of. um, But not, like, interacting with him, but, like, you know, uh, getting Chauvelin to... I can't remember the details, sorry. Those were older ones, but, yeah. Hmm. Um, I think in El Dorado, he uses um, uh, the the novel... um, Uh, the Baron de Bat's attempted um, insurrection at one point is used as a um, way to, for Percy to escape Hmm. like as a distraction.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, Uh, that's always a a problem that some, you know, uh, the, the Voldemort issue as well, like where there's just, you keep coming back to the same villain over and over and over again, even, you know, Batman has a great rogues gallery but you know they they lean on the Joker a bit too much you know kind of thing so
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's not in he's not in everyone but like when there's a you know major villain character it's usually him or at least he interacts with you know that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um he's in a lot of them. He's in probably too many. He overstays his welcome I think. Um he is introduced as having a daughter uh, later on who's like a naive Pro-monarchist girl who uh, gets sentenced to the guillotine, and he tries to save her. And then, um, uh, at the end, uh, Percy saves both her and him from from a mob. And um, um, uh, Chauvelin says, um, um, uh, I, "I thought you would hit back at me." And Percy looked at him and said, "My dear Chambertin, this is this is how I hit back." <laughs> By saving him and leaving him there to know that he's been saved by his enemy. Right. Um, yeah, I, I like the character of Sir Percy, even though I disagree with a lot of the you know uh, yeah. stuff around him. But he's just he's a fun character to read. I like his dialogue. I like um, um like he'll um again this is this is a lie to excuse lateness, but him showing up and saying he he was several hours late because he was trying to tie his cravat just
0: right. <laughs> yeah um, yeah. maybe he's due for a comeback who knows maybe we can do something with
1: it I, I don't know um, uh, oh yeah another of the spinoffs I wanted to, to mention and this one is very weird I read this one early on but it's uh, I'll just talk about it briefly The Scarlet Pimpernel Looks at the World uh, from 1933 which is just Sir Percy talking about the present day as hmm. if he's time traveled like this one actually is written from his point of view and he just talks like it's not a story it's just him talking about uh how to find romance in the modern day you know radio is really cool and Mm -hmm. you know um that one actually does discuss world war
0: one as being really bad so
1: yeah i guess orsi had come around by that point
0: yeah well i i mean i think most people had (laughs) after World War One, but uh, yeah that 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 smacks of oh, God, I'm stuck writing this character forever, so I'm just going to turn it into whatever. I feel like talking about something else completely, so I'm just going to short him in there.
1: I mean, to be fair, the whole thing's written in
0: his voice, so it's like, you know, he says law
1: and odds fish" all the time. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah, Oddsfish is one of his um, uh, catchphrases. It was an actual uh, phrase people used. It was used by uh, one of the King Georges. I can't remember which one. uh it, it's a um a polite way of saying god's flesh ah i get it so it's one of those like zounds or you know yeah, zounds yeah, yeah. means god's wounds right right,
0: right right right
1: the the pimpernel um phrase has been used for various uh real world people um who sort of smuggled people out of um or refugees out of uh tight spots um including like in south africa and even like uh i think there's uh somebody associated with um, getting people out of Nazi Germany who's been called the something Pimpernel. Oh. Um, so, like, it, it has caught on in that way. And I, I, there are some movies named, like, the Black Pimpernel and stuff that are actually about other historical figures. Um, so, yeah, the, the phrase did catch on, at least in the early, early part of the 20th century. Hmm. Um, I, I think the idea of somebody using outrageous disguises to save innocence is is a good one Uh, i think there's there's a lot of i just yeah there's some (laughs) the surrounding political stuff is is occasionally very unfortunate
0: yeah yeah it's it's from a certain point of view basically which is yeah probably going to explain why the character hasn't really stuck around much whereas you still get zoro once in a while and 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 uh Obviously, Robin Hood and Tarzan and those characters, and even uh, even something like Dumas and the or the, um, I guess you do, I don't I guess you don't see Zenda much anymore, but that the, the the elements of it are there still.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this as recently as the eighties, there have been adaptations, but I, I can see why this has sort of died off in its popularity. <laughs> um, yeah. Even though there's there's good stuff here, it just uh yeah,
0: yeah. The way you describe it, it sounds actually like, as you say, very well conceived as a like as a st- the way it's told with with uh, the Pimpernel being an actual mystery to the main character is, is kind of a cool idea. But
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's there's uh, like I said, most of the you know when there's a tall guy because the Pimpernel's six foot three, so mm-hmm. um, all his disguises have to be tall people, <laughs> uh, or else he he stoops occasionally. But right. um, there's some surprises, like uh, in one stor- one of the short stories, uh, 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 it focuses on um, a uh, um, French commander who comes in into a small town, and there's a letter that says that he's actually the Scarlet Pimpernel. And the guy's tall and handsome, so the reader assumes that it's the Scarlet Pimpernel, because that's usually how it turns out. Um, but uh, the letter was actually fake, and the, the French mob just sort of, uh, goes after this guy, think he's the Pimpernel, but he actually is the real person, and this allowed the Pimpernel to escape. Hmm. So, yeah, there's fun stuff like that, occasional twists on the, on the, um, yeah, disguise yeah. stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. sort of like in the way heist movies work, where there's like a, a, a realization at the end of of how they got away with that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, it it kind of sounds like it suffers from being a series and that maybe if it had just been the one-off book, it might be better remembered in that sense, or it, it w- at least for you, it wouldn't have been a slot. Yeah, a, a, um, a, a
1: I, I like some of the sequels. There's some interesting stuff, but uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. Uh, you get the feeling that she uh, kind of got tied to this character because it was her main success, so she had to go back, like you said, yeah um, um, she had other thing, like she wrote some detective stories that seemed to be fairly popular, but um it seems like you know Rowan Atkinson with Mr. Bean sort of thing, like <laughs> you're even though you've done other things and other things that even become popular, you're always associated with this one thing, and it's yeah. kind of yep, it can weigh you down, I imagine, yeah, yeah, for sure. the eternal problem, yeah, uh, so in terms of recommendation. I don't know. If this sounds interesting, try one of them. Understand that this is uh, of its of a particular point of view, and um, uh, just try to take the, the good with the bad. Right. Yep. Old fish, my dears. It appears we are all out of time and must make our hasty escape. I've been Philip Rice, the most fastidious dandy in London society, and with me was my ancestor the Adam Prosser, the laughing podcaster. Our producer was Alex Ross, who hounds us night and day as a member of the Committee of Public Safety. and Our theme song, which can be heard in every drawing room in Europe, was composed by Jack Fyrick.
0: Just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which helps pay for hosting costs and whatnot. And if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this podcast early, t- early every time, as well as getting bonus material, cut footage, and illustrations and comics, among other things no i'm not doing that voice <laughs> just uh, go to patreon and search for philip rice one l or adam Prosser or two s's or neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what dash mad dash universe for the links and you can follow us on twitter at wmu podcast or prankster 36 for me or spear halflock a for philip philip so until next
1: time gentlemen your servant ladies as ever your most devoted slave Everyone else, uh, ditto.